Luke chapter 8, as we continue our study through the New Testament here, the Gospel of Luke. For those who are paying attention to what's going on in Ashbury, uh, there near Lexington, Kentucky, um, it's kind of interesting, actually, uh, back in 1970, one of the guys was telling me uh, they had a similar situation that started uh, there. And for those of you who might be younger and not recall, back in the late 60s, early 70s, it was a major Jesus movement. There's a movie coming out uh, called The Jesus Revolution. Uh, it was a big... What is it? February 22nd in theaters, yes. So it's Greg Laurie's uh, perspective on, he was right there in the middle of it, pastor of Harvest Fellowship there in Riverside, California. And um, just kind of wonder if it might take off again, that if there's a generation that was as lost as I was in my generation, our generation, older, um, it's amazing what God did. Literally a generation was saved, and this generation needs to be saved, and I believe God's reaching out. And it's interesting, um, you're going to see in these things the good, the bad, and the ugly, because there's always counterfeit, and the enemy comes in. Um, but when, when God is truly in a revival, the darkness gets exposed, and there's supernatural world meets the natural world, and there's some incredible things that take place. It, a lot of it's unseen in the hearts and lives of people, but there's manifestations of demonic activity that get removed from people's lives, and part of that was going on this week, and they're Methodists, and they're, they think that stopped 2,000 years ago, but it didn't, and it's still going on. <laughs> so just understand there's the good, the bad, and the ugly. There's counterfeit. There's all kinds of things. There's a time that we test the spirits to see that they, whether or not they're of God. But let's just pray that this catches fire and spreads through the world. That's what needs to happen. We've been talking about that for years here, haven't we? Revival. And uh, revival begins here with me, and it's within us. So pretty exciting stuff. And um, just, just to see people get touched by the Lord. And it started so simply. Nobody's really leading this except the Holy Spirit. A fellow, uh, the last fellow that spoke there talked about what we talked about last week the love of God and forgiveness. Just the love of God. There's nothing greater than the love of God. It melts you. It breaks you down. It transforms you. It's wonderful. And they're sitting there just in no agenda, just here I am, God. The spirit falls, and it starts to grip their hearts, and they can't leave. They're just, a, they're just worshiping. That's what it's all about. It's not complicated, just full surrender. So, ah, I love revival. <laughs> Let's pick it up here in chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Priority 1. As we look at this passage through verse 21, we're going to see the emphasis that I believe that Luke is bringing forth is the priority of God's Word. It is something that we you hear from this pulpit week in and week out, the priority, the necessity of the Word of God. You realize none of us would be in this room right now without the Word of God. Aren't you glad that Jesus said to his disciples on that last night, you are clean through the Word which I've spoken to you. It has a cleansing effect that it's nothing else can do in the human heart what the Word of God can do. It has to be, and you will see through the text here in this parable that we're going to go through this morning, the priority of the Word of God. Beginning in verse 1, we read, Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, out of whom he had cast... Uh, seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the Herod's steward, Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. And when the great multitude had gathered, and they had come to, from every city, he spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and he sowed some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. 
Some fell on the rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up, and it was choked and choked it. But others fell on good ground. So it sprang up, yielded a crop of a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest it is given in parables, that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now this parable is, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God, and those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who hear, receive the word with joy and have no root and believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. But one, the ones that fell on good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed. But he sets it on a lampstand that those who may see, may, those who enter may see the light. For nothing in secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore, take heed how you hear. For whoever has to him will be given to him who does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. So as we begin this portion of Scripture, we are going to see here in this first paragraph the ministry team and the purpose of Christ. He, there's traveling from city to city, from town to town. Every, as it says there, every city, every village, uh, preaching, teaching. And he says bringing the good tidings essentially is teaching. This was the ministry, uh, explaining to and bringing forth the uh, ways of the kingdom, things that, as Matthew put it, saying things that had been hidden from the foundation of the world. Jesus said things that had never been uttered or ever heard by human ears. He's talking about this good news for mankind, redemption through forgiveness, good news of restoration of mankind, a reuniting of mankind with God through repentance and forgiveness. And then we see, of course, uh, the team here, the 12 disciples that were with him and, the, and uh, the women that also served. I want to say something here that's important here. Uh, it says uh, about, um, at the end of verse 1 there, it says, and the 12 were with him. You see, that is always a, a phrase you can just kind of blow right by this and just overlook it. The most important thing for any disciples that we are with Jesus. It isn't about the preaching, per se, the proclamation of the gospel. That's very important. But it is always dedication and commitment and, as it were, personal relationship before service. It's always at the... It says in Mark 3, you can pull that up there, Mark 3, 13 through 15, that Jesus went up on the mountain... And he called those that he himself, see the double uh, personal pronoun there, he himself wanted. Do you see yourself as a disciple of Christ? Understand that he himself, the Lord Jesus, wants you. Notice the rest of the verse there. They came to him. He appointed 12. They had a special mission. You have a special mission. That they might be with him. It wasn't about, hey, you guys got to get out there. You got a job to do. No that they might be with him. Do you understand the personal relationship? That's the difference between Christianity and every other religion. Christianity is really not about religion. It's a relationship with God, that they might be with him. We've got to keep things right in the right perspective. And that he might send them out to preach, service after relationship. Just a, a point to remind us of our responsibility there. And then notice that there were certain women. Now, it doesn't say a certain woman has pointing out to just Mary, but 
Lots of women were healed. Apparently, lots of women were set free from demonic activity uh, in his ministry. One in particular who sort of the poster child for deliverance, right, <laughs> would have been Mary Magdalene. Now, Magna, uh, uh, Magdola, Mag Magdola uh, is about, it's on the west side of uh, the Sea of Galilee, probably about the midpoint from north to south. And uh, not a huge city, but it was not too far off the beaten path, the travel route there. And um, apparently she was in the magic arts and really got taken advantage of by the enemy and deceived. And this is what happens with demonic possession. People get deceived, complete deception. Now, there are those who, and I'm of the, this opinion, uh, that believe that the woman in our previous chapter who experienced this tremendous love and forgiveness, this incredible act of brokenness and worship of the Lord, is Mary Magdalene. And it's very possible. Um, what I, I kind of look at it as that's not when she was delivered, but that's an, an outflow of her repentance and brokenness and transformation. She loved Jesus. And if you follow her through Scripture, there's not a lot of places here, but one of the places you find this lady at is always at the feet of Jesus. She loves Jesus. When At the resurrection, she's at the feet of Jesus. Here she's part of the ministry team. You know, this is the thing, too, that I think needs to be pointed out. Um, Jesus changed the whole concept of women in ministry, if you will. For those who, who think, it, oh, it's all male, you know, it's, it's, just, it's, it's a place of man to lead. Yes, I totally agree with that. But it's also a place for women to serve and to be part of what God is doing. And this proves it. Now, in Jesus' time, the, the rabbis, no other rabbis, none of the rabbis would have women as disciples. They would all be male. And so this is um, kind of a sad um, thing, really, when you think about uh, what went on uh, in general with women is, you know, they were undervalued, obviously, ignored, and uh, a lot of times abused and mistreated. And Jesus came to change all that. Maybe that's why they turned to these dark arts, because they just, there was no love, there was no uh, care f for them as the weaker vessel in that sense, um, physically. And so, um, Jesus set the example. You know, he disciples men and women today, and, and those that are willing, right? And so this wall of division uh, between man and woman, it's been broken down in Christ. And our access to God is also the same. As we read in Galatians, if you pull that up there, Galatians 3, 26 for 28. See, this is important because you need to have a reason why you believe what you believe. If you can't find it in the scriptures, then it's probably just your conviction or your opinion. But if you can find a reason for what you believe in the scripture, then you got, usually have good footing, provided you've done a good job interpreting the scriptures, right? But Galatians 3, 26 to 28, in regards to what we're talking about here. Well, you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? There's a oneness here. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have different roles. That doesn't mean I think there should be women pastors. I don't think that. But I do believe that women should be given a, a tremendous liberty to serve within the church of Jesus Christ. And thus it is so in our church here. The women's ministry is very prominent here. Their prayer ministry is immeasurable amount of good that has happened through that ministry. And the fact it should be an exhortation and a, and a prodding to us as men to learn how to pull down the strongholds of, of hell and do, do war, in spiritual warfare, in prayer. So they're doing it, and may, may the men's ministry and prayer ministry uh, be strengthened in that way. Now, coming to this text more directly here in, in uh, speaking about parables. The word parable comes from two Greek words, para and balo, which literally means to throw alongside. And so it's sort of like a, 
an illustration when you're comparing a known truth to something that's unknown and it's able to communicate uh, the meaning of what you're trying to say um, by putting them alongside each other. And so if you are familiar with this parallel passage, which is um, Matthew 13, uh, this is when Jesus actually sort of begins to distance himself a little bit from the nation. And why has he done that? Well, according to Matthew 12, 24, you can pull that one up. I'm saving you guys the work. I know you had a hard day yesterday, and, and I know it's been rough, so I'm just going to like lay it on the, you know, put the cookies on the bottom shelf here, and, and we're going to roll, okay? Matthew 12, 24, Jesus is accused of being demon-possessed here. It says, now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. When the national leadership, the establishment of the Pharisees and the Sadducees are proclaiming that all these miracles and these deliverances and all this supernatural unseen realm stuff is happening by the power of the devil, that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And that is really the unforgivable sin, is it not? To say that, to say that the works of God are of the devil is blasphemous. To refuse the gift of God is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That is the unforgivable sin for mankind. To reject the only way of salvation, which is through Jesus Christ and through his shed blood, that's the only unforgivable sin. And to do this and to, you know, say that Jesus is demon-possessed, not a good thing to do. And so uh, he then, as he distances himself from the nation, as it were, and begins to become more general, he's now leaving the plain language as he spoke there on the mountain of, when he gave the Beatitudes there. Uh, he spoke very plainly in those commands. Those were the hidden things, things that were hidden. Now he's going to be using parables uh, to communicate his truth. And this first parable, uh, as he tells uh, his disciples uh, who are saying, well, what does this mean? He says, I think it's in the Gospel of Mark. He says, you don't understand this one. How are you going to stand all the rest of them? Come on, fellas. You know, and so, he, he, and we'll get to that. But let's, let's look at these four different uh, kinds of soil that results in uh, different, re, four different results, actually. Uh, we have the, uh, the wayside ground. We have the rocky or the stony ground. We have the thorny ground, and then we have the good ground. And if you look at the sower here, the sower is Jesus, and it's his word that he's giving forth. He's planting his word, planting his word throughout the earth. And now the wayside, as it says here, um, is um, as they're walking down the path, they're just scattering the seed here, they're back and forth. There's, uh, gets trampled on, gets overrun. And it, what does it say here? The devil comes and takes it away. And you think about what Jesus told us the enemy would do. This is John 10. He says he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That is exactly what we see here. The enemy comes. We know that <coughs> birds are a idiom in Scripture for uh, evil. Um, they are an unclean. They're not, you know, in the law, you're not allowed to eat. Uh, most birds. Uh, so we have uh, that comparison there. But it's first trampled. And this is what happens. People hear the gospel and the enemy just comes and for whatever reason, the trials and tribulations, the, the hurt and the pain that people suffer. I mean, I think about this a lot. I drive down this, and it's becoming more pronounced. I, and you see it too. You drive down the road and you see people walking, hitchhiking, or just, you know, there are little signs saying, I'm homeless, I need help. You know, people, there's reasons that they're there, and I understand that, but it, it's, it's heartbreaking to see the pressure and the pain and the sorrow that, that uh, fill the lives of many. And it should fill us with compassion. It's really easy to become cynical 
and to harden your heart towards what's going on in this world because, I mean, you know, you just, you're desensitized. You know, this is exactly what uh, Jesus said, you know, in the last days, because sin would abound, the love of many would wax cold. It's like, I don't really care. That's their problem. They deserve that. You know, they act that, you know, it's, it's on them, you know, blah, blah, blah. All because we desire to, you know, we don't want to give of our sons to possibly lift a finger to help them, you know. So this is what happens. Uh, we're trampled. These people are so hurt and so crushed, they just, they're just not really receptive. And that's kind of sad. And then when they hear the word, and, they, and through that pain, they just blow it off. The devil comes and snatches that word from them. Um, it's stolen. I, I had this experience. I don't know if any of you had this experience. I wasn't raised in the church. wasn't and all that, as you know. Um, but I do remember uh, a friend of mine, we were childhood friends, uh, went through high school together. Right after high school, he is a year older. He got saved, and I heard they got converted, but I was busy in school, and he was out of school, so I never really had any encounter with him. I just had hearsay, hey, so-and-so, hey, Lamar got saved. Like, what? What's that mean? <laughs> and um, so I ran into the guy uh, just shortly after I had graduated, and he's witnessing to me, and the thing I notice about him is this guy's really happy. I'm like, that's that, that was a, that was a change for him, and he 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 witnessed. The only guy that ever really witnessed to me, and I remember, yeah, and him. Well, I'm happy for you, bro. You know, <laughs> and I remember driving off, and for a brief moment, I thought about what he said, and then what. <laughs> That's what we're talking about. The birds of the air came and just snatched that word right out of my heart, right out of my mind, and I went back, you know, to my sin. I hate to tell you, I just, I'll be honest with you. I had a joint rolled up in the thing, and I pulled it out, and I started smoking it. If that isn't the devil ripping a guy off, I don't know what is. But that's how real it is. And somebody might be listening right now that you're in that same situation. You just want to blow off what's being said. Do not blow off the word of God. It's to your own detriment. No doubt, my friend prayed for me. And three months later, I bent the knee to Jesus. And um, so God's gracious and God's merciful. The wayside hears followed by the rocky ground or the stony ground here. Satan comes to kill. See, these seed was sown. It says uh, in Matthew's gospel that there wasn't much earth. Here it says there was no moisture. So it's a combination of both. And there's, it, it sprang up, but it withered. It doesn't have what's needed. You know, people who receive the word of God and don't do anything with it. You don't water it. You know, go ahead and plant your garden this spring. See what happens if you don't water it. What if you don't till the soil, nurture it, and help it along? If you're going to grow, and this is what my friend told me after I had come to faith and I reunited with him. We were very close. We hung around a lot together. We went to church together. We prayed together. We became very close before the Lord took him home. And, you know, one of the things he told me, he said, well, look, because I was totally ignorant of the Bible and things in the scriptures and, you know, Trinity. Three, three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, what, what? You know, I just couldn't dial it in at all, you know. And, and he said, now look, if you don't read your Bible, if you don't spend time in prayer and spend time with God talking to him, you're going to be right back in the world and on your way to hell. Oh, Okay. So he happened to be going to Bible college at the time. And so this guy's, you know, he's reading the Bible all the time. So I, well, I'll just do what he's doing. He reads his Bible every day. I can do that. So it took me seven months, but I got through this Bible in, the, in seven months, the first time around. I was like, didn't understand any of it, but I still read it, you know. <laughs> but Satan, you know, he would seek to kill and if you're not in a place where you're nurturing your faith, you're going to dry up. You're going to fade, and you're not going to make it. It's just the way it is. Now, the thorny ground here, this is um, an interesting uh, individual. 
It says it sprang up among the thorns and it was choked out. Choked out by what? It was choked out, as it were, by cares, riches, and pleasures of life. You know, that's something we really don't have to worry about in our culture, is it? That's all our culture is about. It is about cares. It's a, you know, we've forgotten roles. We want to make sure we have all the bases covered in our life and we live balanced lives, balanced with everything else but God, right? Cares, the things that we care about our children. We care about whether, where they're going with their lives. How much money do we have in our bank account? Are we going to have enough when we, live, when, we, when we stop working and we retire? Are they going to actually take all my 401K? You know, all kinds of worries. The pleasures of this life, you know, eat, drink, and be merry, right? I mean, it just, it, that just because we accept Christ doesn't mean we lose those things and desires from our life. And it's not that those things are totally sinful, there's a lot of good things in life that are not sinful, pleasures of life that we got. The Bible does tell us that God's given us all things to richly to enjoy, but not to the exclusion of Him, not to the exclusion of keeping the Word of God you, the priority of your life. If the Word of God is not priority in your life, you're going to fall. You're going to fall. You're going to wither. You're, gonna, you're not going to be all that you could have been. I'll save the last, the good ground here is for last year, but let's compare these. People ask me, well, do you think, like, which, one, which ones of these are saved and not saved? Because, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure that wayside guy, is, he's, he didn't get it. He didn't make it. He's going to the wrong place. You know, but, but what about the stony ground here? And it, doesn't, it says that they believe for a while, Right? Not, that's not a good situation. In the thorny ground. So here's, and this is my opinion. It, it, I mean, it, it, that's all I can say is I think I have the Spirit of God, but I think it's just my opinion. I do believe that the wayside hearers and the stony ground hearers are impossible for us really to, t- uh, or, um, to know for sure, but I don't think they're the saved people. Thorny ground hearers, I think, are saved, but they, I think they are equivalent to the carnal Christian that Paul talks about in the Corinthians church. They just never mature. They never really, they're spiritually retarded because they don't give themselves completely and surrender to the things of God, and so they don't grow into maturity. Here's the issue in the church. As you go on and you study the parables, you'll see that the birds of the air land in, in the tree, and so Jesus he talks about the good seed being mixed with the bad seed and they both grow together till the harvest. Well, what are we going to go on here? I believe that this is sort of the, you know, the stony ground here and the thorny ground here are part of the church. They look a lot alike. You and I, unless you've got the gift of discernment, cannot really tell the difference between a stony ground here and a thorny ground here because they're both carnal in that sense. Now, the guy who's got a good heart, the good ground here, that guy's got fruit all over the place. He's a no-doubter, right? I mean, you can easily see, but those other two. So that's why all judgment is reserved for God. Only God knows. But whatever that's worth, uh, you got to understand Satan's objective has never changed, and it will never change. He will never repent. He will never change. It's to steal from you. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy your life and make you unfruitful in the kingdom of God. He may not be able to kill you and destroy you. As was prayed this morning, nobody plucks us out of the Father's hand, right? But he can make you unfruitful. If you aren't willing to bring your flesh to the cross and die to self, and you want to continue to be concerned with the cares of this life and your pleasures and seeking money and your well, okay, that's your choice. Don't expect to be rich in faith because you can't serve both. You've got to give yourself to it. Good ground here has this confidence. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. 
you know, the last person on my mind is the enemy. He's in the periphery. I see, I sense the warfare, I sense the attack, I sense temptation, but that's not my focus. My focus is him. I'm not worried about the Antichrist. I'm not worried about the end times. I'm not, you know what? What does it matter what I really think about it? You think that's going to change the coming of Christ? Your thinking and my, my perspective is going to change what God's already ordained? What does he tell us to do? Watch and pray. Be concerned with the mission that he's given to us as a church. Take the gospel to the nations. You what the, as I said this before, do you know what the, the unseen realm fears most from the church? It's to us taking the gospel to the world. Because what do nations do? What do leaders of nations do? They enslave humanity. We are, you th- oh, we're free in America. Oh, really? Really? You think we're really free? Try not paying your taxes. See how free you are. We're, we're economic slaves. You know, this is what leaders of nations do. They enslave their people. What does the gospel of Christ do? It sets people free. So thus you see the, it's what the enemy fears. So why, why do we, are we slow to catch on to the mission, to preaching the gospel? Don't let the devil rip us off anymore. Greater is he that it's in us. Let's get the job done that we've been called to. Let the word of God spring up and bring forth fruit hundredfold. Amen? It's the idea of understanding and applying God's truth. It says, notice here it says, with a good and noble heart or a noble and good heart would be the order. That's important. The idea of, of, of a good heart, a noble heart, is there's an excellence. There's a nobility. There's excellence. There's, there's strength there. The good heart is that you, 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 you have an attitude towards God that is pleasing to Him. So when you have that kind of heart and you receive the Word of God, it's going to produce fruit. It's, the Holy Spirit's gonna, it's an atmosphere that the Holy Spirit can work in and work through. And this is how... It happens. Now, uh, skipping on down there, uh, he refers to Isaiah chapter 6 here uh, when it comes to uh, these people, the Israelites in particular. The establishment has heard and they've blown Jesus off. They've accredited what he's doing to, to the enemy and they're fulfilling the scriptures. Isaiah 6, 8 through 10, if you'll pull that up. I also heard the voice of the Lord saying to me, this is Isaiah 6, 8, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go tell this people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy. Shut their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. So even this morning as I'm ministering the same word that Jesus spoke to us, people are hearing the words physically, but are you hearing, really hearing? And the idea of hearing means to do. I'm going to do this. So it's literally, keep, they keep on hearing, but they don't get it. They keep on seeing, but they're not perceiving it. They have heavy ears. There's no feeling. There's no sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. They have not yet received the grace and the mercy that God extends through the cross. Their eyes are shut. They're sealed up. Their ears are closed. They're no longer hearing and seeing as they should. These are important things to grasp because what the Lord is doing here is with parables is very important. Is the idea of revealing truth and concealing truth. It is a test of the human heart. Am I, because I don't understand, am I just going to blow it off? Because I don't really see the far-reaching implications of what's being said to me as I did with my friend there. I didn't really understand, nor did I really want to understand because of the grip sin had in my soul, my spirit. I didn't want to 
take what he was saying to its logical conclusion that if I heard, because if I really heard what he said initially, I would repent it on the spot because I knew I was, and he knew and I knew I was hell bound. And if I would have heard with understanding and received it, then I would repent it because I didn't want to go there. I want to be right with God. This is what we're talking about here. This communication of the parable is a way of communicating the secrets of the kingdom to those who really love God and wanted God and had good hearts, and yet concealing the truth from those who had little interest in eternal things. Now, as we come to this, verses 16 through 18, this is important here. Uh, you know, some of us, including myself, may read this and apply it personally. You're like, oh gosh, all those, all those bad thoughts I had. Is he going to flash them on the screen when I stand before him? <laughs> You're like, ah! No, I actually think he's talking about revelation of his plans and purposes here. You know, the burning lamp you know, is the mysteries of the kingdom. Uh, the word of God is no longer going to be covered up. The Lord is going to reveal. Think about what we understand through the writings of Paul in the New Testament, even the revelation of Christ, versus what they understood and what was written in the Old Testament. I mean, he has blown the lid off of knowledge. You know, Daniel talks about in the last days, knowledge would increase. People would run to and fro, and knowledge would increase. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of understanding of the Bible, obviously, is implied there, uh, but also uh, what we're doing in our world, we're overloaded with knowledge in general. But here, the burning lamp, the mysteries of the kingdom, and that burning lamp will not be covered up. You, know, you, you don't want to... I think this is important to understand a lot of the scholars formed their own little group in their ivory towers of theology and have, would not even for a moment considering descending down to the lower level of pastors and their flocks to reveal the deeper knowledges within the scriptures. Because unless you are a study student of you know, Semitic languages and you really understand Hebrew, it's really hard to understand. We think this is an American book. Hardly. <laughs> and if you don't get into the mind and understand at least a little bit of the, the worldview and the, their view of God and various things in their culture, you're not going to get a lot of what's being communicated. But the people in the time that received the messages from the prophets and, the, and all the things that are written in the Scripture, they understood so we have to kind of get back and look through their lens if we, if we could. But now as we come into the New Testament, Jesus is just blowing the lid off. All the secret things will be revealed. Mankind will have to choose. You'll have to choose. Are you going to follow yourself? Are you going to follow the Lord? And he says here, this is again another exhortation. Take heed. Verse 18. Take heed how you hear, for whatever whoever has, to him more will be given. To whoever does not have, even when he seems to have, will be taken from him. Now that really seems, that's not fair. Isn't that what you first think when you read that verse? Well, that's not fair. Then the guy's already a pauper. Why do you want to take what little he has? Well, it's called the law of investment. You know, it's kind of like our little phrase that we have up here on the wall. Some of you, I don't know if you've ever noticed that. I do what I can with what I have where God has placed me. That's sort of along the same lines here. You're supposed to use what you have. <clears throat> parentheses. Stop complaining about what you don't have. End of parentheses, right? Use what you have, and guess what will happen? More will be given. This is kind of what we're doing with the church stuff. We're, we actually, you know, in the new building out there, we're actually probably doing, I haven't measured this, but I'm just, I think it's fair to say we're doing twice as much as we plan to do. So we're spending a lot more money. I'm just, you know, we're basically spending all the money we have to get that place ready for you. <laughs> so we're doing what we can with what we have <laughs> where God has placed us. And you know what? We'll... What, what, what happens next? More will be given. 
We're not doing it for ourselves. We're doing it unto the Lord. And that's what you do with your life. Well, I'm going to wait till I have everything I need before I ever do anything. doesn't work that way. Use what you have. Go with what you have been given already. And guess what happens? You'll get more and more and more. And the guy who is stingy, the guy who, who folds his hands and turns inward, you're going to get shut down. You're going to get cut off, and you're going to go broke. It's called the law of investment. You have to give in order to receive. This is one of those things that we consider part of the upside-down kingdom. And in reality, you know, you read that in Acts, and the, wherever the, they planted a church and it began to grow, it's like they, they turned the world upside down. Actually, that's true. But in reality, they're turning the world right side up, the way it should be, the way God ordained it to be. It's upside down because the world is messed up. It's headed the wrong direction. Uh, nonetheless, let's finish with this, these last few verses before we observe communion. And again, I think Luke has placed this here to show the priority, the importance of God's Word, the importance of obedience to God over, and loyalty to Yahweh over everyone else. Husband, wife, children, job, priority one. Look at this. Then came his mother. This ought to make the Catholic brethren happy. Mother Mary here, okay? We're talking about his mother. Then came his mother and brothers to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, Hey, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answers and said to them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So again, the stress of doing what you know is right, listening to, comprehending, and then fleshing out, walking in that direction. You say, well, you know, I've really tried hard to do that, but I really have trouble. I struggle with it. Well, join the crowd. Everybody has struggles with it. But that's why we walk by faith and not by sight. You know, Abraham framed it this way in Roman, you know, being used by Paul in Romans 4. Who against hope believed in hope. So when you look at your failures, your sorrows, and all, all the effort you've put back to try to be the best servant of God, the best Christian you could be, and you fail because of the weakness of your flesh, that's when you just come to God who against hope, like there's no hope that I'm ever going to change, I'm ever going to be regenerated, who against hope believed in hope. You just trust God. And sometimes it takes you and I to coming to our, the very end of ourselves. I can't do this, Lord. This is, I just, empty hands. We lift empty hands. Here I am, Lord. I have nothing to offer you, but here I am. I know that if I surrender to you, and I know if you give me your spirit, I will have the strength to obey. So you're addicted to pornography. You're addicted to drugs. You're addicted to this. You're addicted to that. I got a problem with that, this. You know, make your list. What do you do? Nail it to the cross. You, have, you and I must see ourselves nailed to the cross. Just like the flesh nailed to the cross. I'm dead to that. I'm dead to that. And you got to do, you gotta, sometimes you got to keep doing that. You know how you have that echo chamber going on in your head sometimes? When you've injured someone and you've asked for forgiveness or they've injured you, and you, you know you're supposed to forgive them and you, it just seems like Keep asking over and over, Lord, forgive me, and you just feel unclean, and you feel all that yuck, and it just won't seem to go away. And so you keep asking. You keep persisting. We're built to persist. We're built to endure. So what do you do? 
But Lord, wash me in your word. I know I'm forgiven, and I know I've extended that forgiveness to them. Wash me and wash and regenerate my mind. I bring my sin to the cross. I see myself nailed there with you. I am dead to that. And you get up and you start doing what you know is right. And what happens if you fall again? You do the same thing over. You know, how do you expect to advance? You get up and you keep moving forward. Every one of us in this room who does that, we've failed time and time again. But we don't stop. We don't let the enemy come in and steal away our hope. We don't let him destroy us. We don't let him, as it were, seek to kill us. We stand our ground and we persist in what God has called us to do and called us to be. We don't, re we refuse to accept the lies. And how do you deal with the lies? Paul said, I, I pull down, I bring thought, my every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So I've got this filter in my head. What is that filter? It's the Word of God. Nobody talks to you more than you talk to you. What are you telling yourself? Are you telling yourself the truth? Or are you excusing yourself? Are you lying to yourself? That's why many of us remain in bondage, because we're not telling ourselves the truth. Tell yourself the truth. And when you fail to live up to the truth, you confess that, you bring it to the cross. It's just a process. I'm talking about how we grow. Baby, we're a spiritually baby in Christ. We grow to young men, young women in Christ. And then we eventually become mothers and fathers in the faith. It is a process. It takes a lifetime of spiritual growth to overcome. And so this is roughly the process that we go through because we are willing to hear the Word of God and make it a priority. Spiritual blessings are dependent upon us confessing our sin and making restitutions for our wrong. It's just the way it works. Are you afraid to pray this prayer that David prayed? Search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my anxieties. If there's any wicked way in me, lead me in the way of everlasting. See, a true believer, the one that's received the word on good ground, is not afraid to make that kind of prayer. But I'm telling you, I can remember the day when I was like pretty shy about praying that. But when I read Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, wicked. I didn't understand it. And the Lord says, I search the heart. I test the mind. I'll give to every man according to his ways and according to his deeds. And see, when you own that, when you own who you really are before God, guess what happens? You're freed. You're freed. I'll, I'll end with this illustration. Remember Jacob. What, 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 do you remember what his name means? He'll catch her. Dirty, sneaky thief is a modern translation. He was, well, this guy was crafty, right? So he's coming back to the promised land, and he's going to inherit the promises. Who does he encounter? The angel of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's in a wrestling match. This is what we do. We wrestle with God. The old man, we're wrestling. And the Lord touches him and knocks his hip out of socket. Won't let go. He won't let go of the angel of the Lord. Bless me. And what does the angel of the Lord say? No way I'm going to bless you, you dirty, sneaky thief. No, he doesn't say that. What is your name? He makes him admit it. I'm Jacob. As soon as he says it, no, you're not. You're Israel. You're my prince. You're my son. You're mine. That's what it all takes. This is who I am, Lord. There's a transformation. That's the wrestling. That's the God. Just because you're struggling with sin, your addictions, or whatever, doesn't mean God doesn't love you. Doesn't mean that he's through with you. You're wrestling with God, and you're going to get victory because you are going to be persistent. Don't let go. That's all he asks. Don't let go. Now, 
I can say that. Because as David said, search me and try me. He's talking about the inner man. See, God doesn't care about the outside so much. It's the inside. It's the matters of the heart, right? It's the heart that matters. Matters of the heart. That's, what, that's what's important. I know you might feel like a hypocrite because you're struggling with stuff. That only proves you're not because you're struggling and you want to have victory. What this does is it shows us who we are, it purifies our heart, and then the works that we do and God does through us are done out of a pure motive because we realize how we would have tainted that if we did it our way. It has a way of just separating the stench of our flesh from the beautiful work that God desires to do in and through our lives. So this is the kind of work that should happen as we remember what Jesus did on the cross. This is why it's important to take communion because we have to go back and we have to look at what it took for God to provide salvation for us, what it took for our sins to be forgiven, and what it takes for him to regenerate us and to make us in, and to create a new man within us. It's all about the work that he did on the cross. So the guys are going to come and they're going to distribute the elements to us if you'll go do that, fellas. So we'll, uh, as we sing here, Take the moment. Do your business with the Lord. Be a time of confession quietly in your heart to God. Be a time of repentance. Trying a time of within crying out, Lord, for mercy and grace and to be transformed and changed. You know, we look over our past we know it's under the blood. We consider where we're at here in the present and deal with the things that are on our hearts and are important right now in our relationship. But never forget where we're going. Jesus is, he's going to lift the cup. I don't know how this is going to happen, but he's going to lift the cup and he's going to drink it, drink it afresh, anew, when he establishes the kingdom. Isn't that amazing? He has not partaken of communion, so to speak, that third cup in the Passover, right? He has not taken that third cup yet. It will be in the kingdom, a cup of victory. Isn't that just awesome? Think about your past, your present, and your future now as you take communion this morning. And I'll lead us here in a minute. Go ahead, fellas.